the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. I was just talking to young David uh, during the break here um, about 9-11, and he asked me what William Buckley's response was. And I, um, I have two, I have, I have one memory and one direct answer. One, one memory was a column he wrote about Flight 93 and the heroes of Flight 93, Todd Beamer and company, and how um, one of the transcripts from one of the calls from a husband to a wife was, we're waiting until we can get over empty land. That is to say, where no houses or buildings were. You think about that. Take a moment to think about the mindset to be on a hijacked airplane where you know you have to do something and that you're going to do something. And knowing that you want to save as many lives as possible by doing something that you know will take the plane down, but minimizing the loss of other innocent life in doing so. And you think about the moral parallels or the the moral the moral, moral valence of that decision of those men and women on Flight 93. They knew if they did nothing, that plane would crash. And they knew if they did something, what they intended to do, what they did do, that that plane would crash. And the moral instruction that comes from the intention behind both of those actions the former crashing a plane to kill as many people as possible for an evil cause, and the latter, Beamer et al., knowing they had to crash the plane to save as many lives as possible for a decent cause. The moral ends. You know, it's interesting. You think back about that era, too, 2001. You got me thinking here a little, David. The way Hollywood had portrayed, and maybe now again does, I'm much less interested in what they do these days, but in those days, the way Hollywood portrayed the American businessman. You know, the American businessman was portrayed by Hollywood as, um, as a negative thing, as a negative person, as a selfish person. As a greedy person. Greed, for yeah. lack of a better word, Greed. is good. And um, not to be respected by the, by the high culture or by the entertainment class. Remember these awful movies like American Beauty, just, just gross movies about the lousy life of the American businessman and the lousy home life, the lousy family life, the lousy life they perpetuated on others. 
And here you saw the real American businessman just suiting up on a regular Tuesday and being called to heroism without knowing it and acting the hero in a way they didn't know they'd be remembered. Kind of interesting just to think about. William Buckley, number two, his first column after 9-11. I pulled it up per your question. After 9-11, Professor Angelo Cotavillo wrote in the Claremont Review of Books that we should expect repeated terrorist attacks and there was nothing we could do about it without changing the entire playing field. Americans are in subways and football stadiums and this could be our way of life. The way of life for the terrorists, the professor admonished, admonished, is the small weapon with the hefty load. One truck, perhaps 1,000 dead. That was the worry in those days. People don't remember, I don't think, how much we all thought they were going to come again and again and again at us. And um, when I was, li- I, I was living in Washington, D.C. at the time, the entire city changed. There was military on all the major streets. For we did think that they were coming again and again and again. And we had foiled and thwarted plots, including the library tower, which was thwarted by our bombings in Afghanistan, which Khalid Sheikh Mohammed said took their breath away. Took their breath away. So not only should we put in a good word for the American businessman who was called, and woman who was called to heroism and such things as Flight 93, should put in a good word for the American military, too, which also Hollywood was portraying as a down-market institution, as a non-heroic brute force. And it just didn't take that long for us to go back to that. It just didn't take that long. There was a lot of good writing mentioned writing in Buckley. There was a lot of good writing that came out of it. One of the things that got circulated the most widely was a piece titled What is an American? written by Peter Ferrara. He wrote, there are, he wrote, you probably missed it in the rush of the news last week. This was in 2001. But there was a report that someone in Pakistan had published in a newspaper an offer of a reward to anyone who killed an American, any American. So I would just, I thought I would just write them to let them know what American is, so they would know when they found one. An American is English or French or Italian, Irish, German, Spanish, Polish, Russian or Greek, an American may also be Canadian, Mexican, African, Indian, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Australian, Iranian, Asian, or Arab, or Pakistani, or Afghan. An American may also be a Comanche, Cherokee, Blackfoot, Navajo, Osage, Seminole, or one of the many other tribes known as Native Americans. An American is Christian, or he could be Jewish, or Buddhist, or Muslim. In fact, there are more Muslims in America than in Afghanistan. The only difference is that in America they're free to worship as each of them chooses. 
An American is also free to believe in no religion. For that, he will answer only to God, not to the government or to armed thugs claiming to speak for the government and for God. An American lives in the most prosperous land in the history of the world. The root of that prosperity can be found in the Declaration of Independence, which recognizes the God-given right of each person to the pursuit of happiness. An American is generous. Americans have helped out just about every other nation in the world in their time of need, never asking anything in return. When Afghanistan was overrun by the Soviet army, Americans came with arms and supplies to enable the people to win back their country. As of the morning of September 11th, Americans had given more than any other nation to the poor in Afghanistan. Americans welcomed the best of everything best products, the best books, the best music, the best food, the best services, but they also welcome the least. The national symbol of America welcomes the tired and the poor and the wretched refuse, the homeless, the tempest-tossed. Some of those people helped build America. Some of them were working in the Twin Towers the morning of September 11, 2001, trying to earn a better life for their families, knowing they could only do so in this country and not the one they were born in. It's said that the World Trade Center victims were from at least 30 different countries, cultures, and first languages, including those that aided and abetted the terrorists. So you can try to kill an American if you must. Hitler tried. So did General Tojo and Stalin and Mao Zedong and other bloodthirsty tyrants in the world. But in doing so, you might want to be extra careful because you could be killing yourself because Americans are not a particular people. They are the embodiment of the human spirit of freedom. And everyone who holds to that spirit everywhere is in one way or another an American. Peter Ferrara, right after 9-11. Piece of writing, isn't it? Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I'm looking at Mr. Bill and just kind of. I could have been Metallica. You would have been happier, happier, wouldn't you? You know our our mutual friend Dave, who used to work here. He took his daughter to go see Metallica this weekend. So. Yeah, all good on that front. Uh, welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Happy to do some politics or anything else you want to do as well, but sharing some thoughts on 9-11 and uh, welcoming yours also. Let me go to uh, Dexter in Phoenix. You're on the Seth Leibson Show. Hi, Dexter. Hi, Seth. Well, I was in Phoenix on that morning, unlike you. I had an appointment in Fountain Hills, and I was about to take my shower when I heard on the radio that one of the high-rises in New York was on fire. So I ran out and turned on the television. We got a feed from London TV, and everyone was wondering how on such a clear day a plane could fly into a building. Well, I wondered what was going on. I went ahead and took my shower. By the time that was over, the second plane had flown into the second building, and everyone knew that was no accident. I wondered, what should I do? Should I go to an appointment? Uh, the U.S. is obviously under attack. And I thought, well, wherever I am, if they're going to hit us, they're going to hit us. So I might as well go on to the appointment. 
by the time I got there and I went up to the reception desk, the woman at the desk told me the second tower has fallen. So I was spending most of the day at this office complex. After a while, they set up a very large TV screen in what I guess was a conference room and small auditorium. And we were there watching in horror what was going on. And while I was there in this conference room, we saw the second plane uh, tape now, the second plane fly directly into the second tower. Like in a slow-mo feed, like a repeated feed or something like that? Yeah, we, yeah, we, we, right. we saw the, uh, right. the strike repeatedly. Right. And again, no one thinks this is some kind of strange accident right. by now. Right. Right. So after uh, my work is over there for the day, I'm driving back into Phoenix from Fountain Hills. And my church regularly had an afternoon mass about 5 or 5.30 p.m. I don't remember which it was. The church accommodates about 1,100 people, but for the daily service, they would usually have around 100 or maybe 200 at the most. I thought, well, I better go by the church, seeing as we don't, excuse me, seeing as we don't know if the U.S. is going to be here tomorrow or not. Right. And when I got there, the church was almost full that afternoon, about Probably a thousand people showed up that afternoon to pray, and uh, again, not knowing what we faced on the morrow or the day after that. Fascinating. Yeah, you know, it's it's. I, I was just curious how it played out here and how people were observing or noticing it or taking note of it out here. Um, I, I wondered what would, would yeah. be on the highway like. Were yeah. people going to be just staying away from the highway? But it, seem like an ordinary commute. People just yeah. driving along, although obviously this was all on their minds. Yeah, this was hard to believe. The day This was in a day before smartphones, uh, so a lot of, there may have been Blackberries. I don't think they hooked into the internet, but there may have been Blackberries that would send emails, and there were a lot of flip phones in those days. I had one, I remember I was walking up Connecticut um, Avenue in Washington, D.C., and was trying to call mom and dad here in Phoenix uh, to let them know I was okay because people didn't know what was happening in Washington, D.C. either. They saw the Twin Towers, but there were all these reports in D.C. of bombs going off in Lafayette Park, and Congress had to be um, removed, uh, you, you know, had to be evacuated, and, of course, the Pentagon was hit. So people didn't know. So I, the thing I remember is I couldn't get a line through. Uh, as we were walking up, as I was walking up Connecticut Avenue, um, back to my apartment. Um, but yeah, I have always wondered how it, how it played out here, and what people were noticing when we were watching it live. We were watching it live. Uh, we were watching the Today Show at that time. It was Matt Lauer and Katie Couric. Doesn't that seem like a lifetime ago? And I remember Matt Lauer and Katie Couric were speculating that a small plane, the first one. A small plane had something gone wrong. Radar went off. Something went wrong. And then we all live watched that second one, and we all knew that was that was a different animal uh, altogether and that we were at war. Um, but, uh, yeah, at first no one knew because you're right. It was a perfectly clear day. It was a beautiful day in Washington, D.C., as well as it was in New York. Do you know what the New York Times had that day, Dexter, uh, in a prominent story? on uh, page one of, of, of their culture uh, section, section E? I would be, I'd be afraid to guess. Let me give you the headline. September 11th, 2001, New York Times. So eerie. So eerie. Here it is. 
No Regrets for a Love of Explosives. In a memoir of sorts, a war protester talks of life with the weathermen. Let me read you the first paragraph, may I? Sure. I don't regret setting bombs, Bill Ayers said. I feel we didn't do enough. Mr. Ayers, who spent the 1970s as a fugitive in the weather underground, was sitting in the kitchen of his big turn-of-the-19th-century stone house in the Hyde Park district of Chicago. The long, curly locks in his wanted poster are shorn, though he wears earrings. He still has tattooed on his neck the Rainbow and Lightning Weatherman logo that appeared on letters taking responsibility for bombings, and he still has the ebullient, ingratiating manner, the apparently intense interest in other people that made him such a charismatic charismatic figure in the radical student movement. It was a glowing profile of it was a glowing profile of Bill Ayers that very day in the New York Times who regretted only one thing, not setting enough bombs. How eerie is that? It's fantastic. And of course Bill Ayers was a friend of Barack Obama. Yeah, I mean within ten years, um he would have helped uh elect Barack Obama to the presidency because he gave Barack Obama his really first fundraiser when he was running uh, for the state legislature in um, Illinois, in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There is uh, there's an old Reinhold Niebuhr book called The Irony of American History. Boy, wouldn't that apply to this little vignette, huh? Very definitely. But as for the streets of Phoenix, uh, they weren't deserted. I didn't see people freaking, freaking out, although they obviously were mentally worried, like everyone was, wondering if we were going to even going to be here in the United States the next day. But then at least they all got together to go to, in my particular experience, that one church, presumably many others too, for people basically just having to really place their uh, hands, uh, their faith in, faith in God. Did you hear anything stupid? Not that I recall. When I went into that uh, large auditorium where everyone was watching things, People were just quiet, like, what are we seeing? We can't conceive this. Who is attacking us like this? Mm-hmm. And that was, of course, one of the major questions people had. Why are we under this attack from whom? Yeah. Yeah. And then we all rolled up our sleeves and went to work and started studying this thing called Islam. That's right. That's this right. country called Afghanistan and Saudi Arabia and all the rest. Dexter, thank you for that very much. I appreciate that color. You're welcome. God bless you. Anyone else, I'd love to hear from you as well. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Are global leaders developing solutions that promote freedom and quality of life, or are they creating problems and forcing solutions that only benefit the elite? Midas Gold Group believes it's the latter. From draconian COVID restrictions decimation of small businesses, changed election laws, Midas believes your finances will be next. Under the guise of protecting you, you'll get monetary expansion, national debt, and reduced purchasing power, and the central bank digital currency will virtually eliminate savings and purchasing privacy. The answer, convert a portion of your savings or IRA to physical gold and silver. Precious metals are our private currency. They've been used to store wealth throughout history. Thousands of you know and have trusted the veterans at the Midas Gold Group because they're fighting for your financial freedom and privacy. They're the only precious metals dealer Seb Gorka and I know and use. Check them out. Visit them online at MidasGoldGroup.com or 
Give them a call at 480-360-3000. The Midas Gold Group at 480-360-3000. Going to Michael in Goodyear. Hello, Michael. Hi. Uh, hello, Seth. Can you hear me? I can. Thank you. Yes. Hey, uh, yeah, I I was actually living in Bethesda at the time and uh, working downtown for GMAC Residential Funding Corp. And, uh, you know, same thing as your last caller. They had the TV rolled into the conference room um, and everyone was just in disbelief. Um, and because uh, we had to evacuate our building, we were in kind of a, you know, a five or six story building down there across from Montgomery's. And, uh, um, so we evac we could see the smoke on the horizon and, um, needless to say, it was a long walk up Wisconsin Avenue back to my apartment. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I was walking. Yeah. I walked from, uh, what was my office address? 1701 Pennsylvania Avenue up to my apartment. Uh, not as long a walk as yours, but it was up Connecticut, uh, to DuPont circle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and one more thing I'd like to add and then we can hang up, but, uh, you know, I, I ended up leaving, I don't know, a couple weeks after that. I, I resigned, um, packed up my car, and uh, drove back to New England. And uh, I, I will say the most inspiring thing I think I've ever seen were the overpasses on I-95. Um, as I was driving through Jersey, Maryland, um, into upstate New York, just the, 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 the amount of banners and flags and people up there waving um it it really it, it was really touching um i'll never forget it yeah it's it's an interesting thing to think about for those of us that were so close to it uh did you lose any friends i lost uh i lost a friend that day did you lose any friends i i fortunately did not um of course i have acquaintances and friends that no. that have that yeah. did and sure um but i you know it was uh, it was eye opening for me, and I was a, a younger young man. At yeah, the time. Well, and, we uh, were, yeah, we all wore younger man's clothes in those days, <laughs> didn't we? Uh, to quote a famous lyric, but but it is interesting for those of us that were there or so close to it as you were. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, it did change our lives. I think, and it's something we'll never forget. Um, it's 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 odd to me that there are now amongst us every college student who would have no memory of it whatsoever, and yet to me I can remember it like yesterday. It's just an odd thing how time marches on and how things certain things hit you and and, and stay with you forever. It's just odd. I don't have words yeah. for it. It was a hot day. I, I remember that distinctly. It was unseasonably warm, um, but these are things that I share with my kids and in the hope that they, they can better understand, you know, what, what went on and how serious it was and, um, and that they can have an appreciation for, um, you know, the loss. Yeah. I I appreciate you sharing that. The closest thing I guess I came to trying to understand it was talking to my parents who remembered Pearl Harbor. That would have been a close analog in a sense. Of course it was, in a distant state, it wasn't the capital, it wasn't New York, it was fewer people, um, and it was military, not civilian. 
but boy, um, it's uh, it was the closest analog we had at the time. Well, listen, thank you very much, Michael. I appreciate it. God bless you for sharing that. Thank you. Thank you, Seth. You bet. I'm Seth, 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Liebschen. <laughs> happens once in a while. I just can't even do my own name. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I need the alliteration of a name like David Dahl. That's like a real radio person's name, David Dahl. Well, That's, I'm glad you think so. <laughs> my name sounds like the like a cafeteria or a deli. Let's go to Liebson. I'll have to take take a a Midwestern uh, transfer or something. I'm David Dahl reporting from downtown Detroit or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I want you to say something like uh, something like "As God is my witness, I thought wild turkeys could fly." As God is my witness, <laughs> I thought wild turkeys could Les fly. Nessman. I know what we're talking yeah, about. Less Nesman. All right, where am I going to? Rick in Phoenix. Good to hear from Rick. How are you, Rick? Hi, Seth. This is Rock. So, I mean, Rick. Hi, Rick. I, I don't you know. Do I forget my own name sometimes. Yeah, I don't know. I guess we don't. <laughs> I know. Do people? Uh, anyway, yeah. Yeah, anyway. Well, listen, this, it's a very somber and, and sober day today. Um I don't know if anybody's mentioned, but uh, that day here in uh, Phoenix was an election day, that Tuesday. No kidding. So I was uh, I was working uh, the election. I was uh, at one of the precincts uh, on the election board, and uh, of course we had to be there at uh, five o'clock in the morning. And we opened the doors at six o'clock, and uh, shortly, uh, I don't know, within thirty minutes or so. Uh, our supervisor came in and said, have you heard about the crash at the World Trade Center? And, and of course, we hadn't because in those days, and I may still be this way, you couldn't have radio or TV or anything in the uh, election room. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh-huh. Room. And so uh, the, she came in, uh, what, about an hour later and said, well, there's been a second one. And if uh, anybody has a, a portable television, you can have them bring it in. So they they did, and for the rest of the day, as people were coming in and out for the election, we, we watched the coverage and watched those towers over and over and over and over be uh, flown into. Yeah, I, um, I, I wonder... One of the things we were tracking in Washington was um, public sentiment about it all, because, again, we were we were in a very divided nation, Mm -hmm. highly politicized. Uh, We were coming out of the culture wars of the 90s, the late 90s. Um, And and there was this 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 rising, you know, relativism. And a lot of us thought, well, okay, finally, we'll put the death nail not nail nail into the notion of of uh, there being no difference between good and evil, or it being hard to discern the difference between good and evil, um, because it was put in such sharp relief what good was and what evil was on that day, and yeah. we. So, but we were we were kind of finally tuning our ears to hear about you know what I'm asking is of listeners is did you hear stupid stuff. You know, like that. Remember that Professor Ward something or other Ward Churchill, maybe at Colorado, a professor at Colorado who said America had it coming. That kind of nonsense. Yeah. And um, yeah. and you know, there was that. There was a fair amount of that. I remember. 
I remember um, Williams College, which is a fancy college in western Massachusetts, lost a few alumni, and they had a memorial uh, the next week. And uh, not a single professor except one art history professor showed up. But you know who showed up? Everyone on the maintenance crew. Everyone wow. on the maintenance crew. But not another yeah. professor except this one who wrote the story up for Commentary Magazine, who taught art history. And yeah. pr- and pretty wow. soon you started hearing more and more stupid stuff, uh, including yeah. the kind of thing that you got from Jeremiah Wright. So, right. uh, you know, it, it's weird how many times we need the lesson. It's just weird how many times we need the lesson. Yeah. And, of course, well, today that's... it suffuses American cultural thinking, doesn't it, that we are the yeah. problem and we are to blame and that we are a lousy place and we were never that great. We were pretty well, great that know, day, I'll tell you that. that. Yeah, that recollection about the professors not showing up kind of highlights what, what I, maybe I can call you back a little later in the week and talk to you about the education uh, problem I, that I sent you an email on. But for today, uh, the thing I remember, Seth, is the tremendous uh, surge in faith yep. and in unity. Yep. And I don't want to give you short shrift, but I would like to get your rumination on how did we go in seven short years from that tremendous unity to electing a president that wanted to fundamentally transform America? Sure, sure. It's an interesting trajectory, isn't it? Thanks for the question. Let me think it out loud with you for a few moments. Uh, First of all, I think some blame goes to the administration that he succeeded. I think they put up a lot of confusing messages. Uh, And on top of which, uh, we have to remember that the economy was going south fast, and we have to remember that the Iraq war was going badly hard. But it is interesting what that contrast was, wasn't it? You had a real vision of two Americas in 2008, in that election that you're talking about. One, a man uh, no one had really heard of six years before in Barack Obama, who grew up with none of this in the culture. You know, born in Hawaii, living in a very kind of Ivy League coddled life, community organizing, practicing law hanging out with people like Bill Ayers. That's on the one hand. And then it's absolute polar opposite in perhaps the world's most famous, after George Bush maybe, maybe the world's most famous political personality in the world, John McCain. Um, People forget how famous he was. He was, uh, even before he, even when he was in, a POW camp he was famous. People had John McCain wristbands. His dad was the head uh, admiral up in Vietnam. And anyway, how famous John McCain was with a totally different story and a totally different biography. The war hero, if you will, the prisoner of war, um, a very, if you will, uh, kind of much more Americanized name or the kind of name that is much more familiar uh, to, you know, the American tongue, like a John McCain versus a Barack Hussein Obama, something even Barack Obama would point out and make sport of. 
that 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 balance between those two choices could not have been more diametrically opposed could not have been more diametrically opposed and it sh- and it showed you it just showed you the direct contrast and tension this country i think has been in ever since uh we are a country now of dramatic polar opposites and uh, not healthy at all of course but i think some of it some of that blame does have to go to the administration that became unable to explain the war we were in and sent a lot of confusing messages about the war we were in and proved something that is true of every war we're ever in, which is when the mission becomes confused, public sentiment gets lost. So I think some blame has to go there, again, to ourselves. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which brought to you by the good people at Y-Refi. They really are very good people, very active in our community, offering up an investment in a portfolio that um, is not tied to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. If you're concerned about the vacillations of the stock market, if you're concerned about inflation, their uh, investment is in a secure collateralized portfolio not correlated to the market or the reserve. It is, in fact, an investment where you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. It is uh, an investment in a portfolio with absolutely no fees. Uh, You can turn your income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like. There's no attack on principle if you ever need your money back at any time. Check Why why Refi out by either visiting them in person at uh, their offices on Scottsdale Road in the 101. You won't get a sales pitch. Or check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or call them at 888-YREFI-24, 888-YREFI-24. Young David, you had a political point you wanted to make? I did have a political point we were discussing over the break that I truly feel bad for those people, perhaps of a generation younger than me, most uh, recently, the the late Gen Xers, or I guess you, they would be the younger Gen Xers, or the uh, earlier millennials, those that were in their most impressionable years in high school and probably early college when 9-11 happened, the 2000 election, and through most of the years of the Bush administration. I feel bad for them in that that is who they had to look up to as good conservative governance, as the uh, the news media called it, the axis of evil at the time, you know? I I truly feel bad for them in that that, that it was the example of what uh, Reagan had pioneered in the 80s for them and their generation. And it makes sense that there was such disillusionment come 2008. Yeah, and it's 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 going to be an interesting question going forward as to, you know, what those models are. I remember <laughs> I remember democratic professor liberal professors in college, lamenting that young people had to grow up in an age of Reaganism and that this is their idea. Uh, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> that this it works. It worked. Uh, it works both ways, of course, right? But for those of us that had the model of Reagan, and you know, you set up these these great monuments and you hope you can replicate them. Uh, it's too high of a standard. You can't replicate these sweet, generous these larger-than-life figures that come around every once in a lifetime. So it's always been an unfair standard when people say, who's the next Reagan or who's the next this or who's the next that. You're not going to find them. What you've got to find 
is a is a different set of expectations that are ripe and right for that time, and hopefully you will find greatness in them. It's a nice way to end this segment or this hour by saying hopefully you will find greatness in them because there was a lot of doubt about American youth in 2001. And, of course, we were all coming off the Tom Brokaw notion that the greatest generation was confined to the World War II generation, but we saw an awful lot of young great men and women after September 11th, didn't we? And we saw a generation just as great signing up to do what needed to be done for all the right reasons. Greatness can be some people. How did Shakespeare put it? Some people are born with greatness. Some people achieve greatness and some people have greatness thrust upon them. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.